Ion 2020 episode 84. Have 2020 vision with Eye on 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. What's going on, everybody? It's Ray Eaton, your host of Ion 2020, that place that you're coming to Monday through Friday for the news and the related events with regards to this 2020 election. As we lead up to November 2020, those who are going to be fighting against Donald Trump, trying to get him out of office. You got the Republicans, the Democrats, the Green Party, Libertarians, all these different third parties and so forth. They are all going to be trying to duke it out with Donald Trump. Even the Republicans are trying to duke it out with Donald Trump. You got... Uh, plenty of Republicans that are over there on that neoconservative side that are just, uh, you know, thinking that he's a terrible leader and so forth. You got libertarian-leaning-ish people like Bill Weld who's going to try to get him out as well because uh, he thinks that Donald Trump is not a dignified leader and so forth. And then you probably have, you know, tons of Republicans that just want this guy out because they don't think that's dignified leadership as well. And then you got the the Democrats that are going to be doing the same thing as well. And you got people just lining up to try to challenge this guy. I think there's, I was reading an article today that said there's 21 candidates right now that are declared to run against Donald Trump, and probably, you know, 19 of those are Democrats as well. And there's way more than that. I mean, I think there's like six or 700 people that have declared according to the election commission, but really the serious contenders are the ones that are, you know, the Democrats that are more mainstream Democrats as well. And then you have, William Weld, who thinks that he might be able to, you know, get out there and talk talk about Donald Trump in a way that would maybe help him to win New Hampshire or something. I think that's his strategy to try to challenge Donald Trump in New Hampshire, and then maybe that'll help him in the polls down the road. But I think what he's just trying to do is make a name for himself, but also to just be a a second voice, somebody that maybe may sounds like a voice of reason to a lot of the people that are on that you know, that, that Republican side that just wants somebody that's not Donald Trump, I guess. And that's what he's going to try to go for. But Donald Trump is already out there throwing blows. It's really funny to watch. Uh, and, you know, he's going to do that because these Democrats, they're not going to throw blows against each other, I don't think. They've all said, you know, we need to fight against Donald Trump. We don't need to fight against each other. But somebody has to start throwing blows on that Democratic side as well and just start saying who's going to be the best possible candidate. They have to bring out the negatives of their the people that are competing against them and so forth uh somebody has to get out there and start throwing blows or else it's just gonna be you know a love fest for oh we all love you know free free medical care we all want the we all want the same stuff we just you know there's no one that's the best candidate and if they don't really distinguish themselves if they don't really just make a name for themselves as the person that is the best choice to run against Donald Trump uh, no one's gonna win, you know. No, or no one's gonna, be, no one's gonna challenge each other. So it's the Democrats are gonna have no chance of winning, is what I'm saying. Uh, Donald Trump's already out there though. He's giving some speeches over the weekend, and I heard it. I think he must have been at the NRA convention because that might have been where he said it. Uh, I'm not sure. I just heard the speech, and it's uh, he's already talking about 
you know, calling these people names. He's already given everyone nicknames. He's calling Joe Biden. He's calling him low energy Joe Biden. He's calling Bernie Sanders crazy Bernie Sanders, and he's already had his nickname for uh, Elizabeth Warren already. It's uh, Pocahontas, and he said, and she's already out anyway. She's not going anywhere, blah, blah, blah. You know, so he's looking at those polls. He's looking at, you know, who's getting traction, who's not. You know, and his main three competitors pretty much right now, it seems like to me, are Joe Biden, and then you have Bernie Sanders, and maybe... Uh, Pete Buttigieg or something like that. I mean, we're, I'm just looking at the polling right now as it stands, and that's the uh, that's the three main competitors. Now, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure that's going to change drastically over the next three and four months, even uh, into November. And then, you know, once you start having the primaries and so forth, you're going to have a lot of people probably drop off before the primaries. I would imagine after you start seeing the debates, the ones that are not getting polling, they're going to start running running out of money because they're going to start running out of donations from people who are going to support their campaign. And that's what you're going to be looking at on the Democratic side is between now and the middle of the summer when they start having the debates, you're going to see a few kind of drop off. Those ones that are uh, not getting any traction, those ones that are starting to run out of money, those people are not uh, getting a lot of support. Uh, for example, like Beto O'Rourke is starting to lose some fire. Uh, he came in strong, but then people started criticizing him as someone that just doesn't have a lot of ideas. That's just kind of uh, all hype, but you know, no nothing, nothing to back up that hype, right? They're already talking about him like that, and he's going to start losing some traction at this point as well. And I would suppose if he doesn't start getting a little bit more traction un- behind him and a little fire underneath his belt, you know. I don't think that he's going to be going very far. Now, Pete Buttigieg, he has a lot of people that are starting to look at him as a, you know, a good sounding voice for the for the movement. And we'll see how that goes, but I mean that that might change as well. If you ever look at the 2008 and 2012 on the Republican side, they had tons of people running and every single week it seemed like there was a new front runner on that Republican ticket. And that was comparable times when they had, I think it was in 2012, they must have had 16, 17 people running against Barack Obama at the time. And every week it seemed like there was a new front runner. And then that front runner would go away, say something stupid, and then the press would turn on that person, and then a new person was the front runner and so forth. So it was just, uh, just the way it was, you know. But Here's what I want to talk about today, just starting off. I had a few few ideas I'm going to talk about. The first one is a poll that was taken, uh, and it shows Joe Biden leads over 2020 Democratic field. But the, there's something in here that I just thought was really telling about Democratic voters, and that's what I wanted to get at today. So let me get into the article first. It says, former Vice President Joe Biden is a favorite among 2020 Democratic presidential candidates, according to a new Washington Post ABC News poll. The survey found 13% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning respondents would vote for Biden if a 2020 Democratic primary or caucus were held in their state today. Senator Bernie Sanders came in second with 9% of the vote. 5% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning respondents said they would vote for South Bend, Indiana Pete Buttigieg if given the chance today. Meanwhile, Senator Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren... Each had 4% of the vote. 3% of respondents said they would vote for Beto O'Rourke. The results showcase significantly lower percentages of support than some other polls because the survey asked respondents to pick a candidate but didn't provide a list of names. So 
this particular poll, it just says, who would you vote for now if there was a Democrat? Basically, they said, are you Democrat or are you Demo- do you typically lean Democrat when you vote? And the, if the people responded yes, then they would ask them this, these questions. There was a thousand people that responded. So it's a pretty large poll with a statistical margin of error of 5.5%. So it's one of those polls. Usually the margin of error is around 3% on a lot of these. So statistically, they did not get a lot of... Um, or statistically, the margin of error is a lot higher, but let's just go on, and this is the point that I wanted to make, and I just thought it was hilarious to listen, right? So, with with them asking, without giving a name of a candidate, or giving them a list of names of the candidates, they said, who would you vote for? And then the person was free to respond with who they would vote for, right? And it says here that... So the poll appears to show that the 2020 Democratic field remains wide open. 54% of respondents did not volunteer any candidate when asked who they would vote for if a primary were held today. And what I'm wondering is if 54% of those respondents had no idea who was running for president on the Democratic ticket right now. And if that is the case then that, I mean, I'm purely speculating here, but if you ask just about anyone that I know that would vote Democrat, who are you, who would you vote for today? They would probably have, if you pinned them down, they would probably have a response of who they would vote for. Like, they would have a name. For example, my sister would probably say Bernie Sanders. My nephew would probably say Bernie Sanders. People that I talk to, that are Democrats would probably say Bernie Sanders or Joe Biden. Like they would have a pretty quick response on the name of the person they would vote for because they follow politics even just a little bit, right? But what this shows me is that if over half of the Democrats that were polled had no idea what was going on with regards to the election right now, no idea, completely politically unaware of what's going on. And that just blows my mind. It just shows who the Democratic voter is, is somebody that spends way more time on other stuff other than actually knowing what's going on in the world, which that's fine to each their own, to be honest with you, to each their own. You don't have to follow politics. I don't watch the news a lot, and I really only enjoy politics for the for the laugh factor of it, right? To kind of, not to criticize, because I'm not that type of person, but just to know what's going on and, you know, see that how inefficient things are in politics, how these candidates promise so much but deliver so little, how they just try to buy votes and things like that. Like, those are things that I'm interested in just following politics for that particular reason, but I don't follow it because I think that there's just some person that's going to rise up and save the day. You know, that's not how I am. But most these Democrats, apparently 54% of them, have no idea, no idea whatsoever what's going on. And that's just, you know, they're doing other things. They're at the beach. They're at the pool. They're going skiing. They're just not following politics whatsoever. They're watching the Kardashians or whatever, you know? Like, the idea is that these people just have no idea what's going on in the world. And 
whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, who knows? In my opinion, it's just like, those are the people that are voting Democrat, to be honest with you. And I think most libertarians would even know, in general, if you asked them, what's going on with the Democratic election, they'd be able to tell you something. And if you listen to this show, you certainly would be able to say something about most of these candidates, because I think I've covered just about every single one of them. And if not, let me know, you know. But um, I just think that that's, that's just the very telling situation, is that over half of the Democrats polled had no idea who was running on the Democratic side. So, but Joe Biden is definitely winning in that poll, followed by Bernie Sanders. And those are the two front runners. Just about every poll has showed those two as the front runners. And Joe Biden, now that he's in the race as well, he's going to start picking up some steam, I'm sure, because he is the safe choice. He's the safe choice to run against Donald Trump, who can clearly beat the safe choice of 2016 Hillary Clinton, right? The per like it was her turn is what they said. And the realization is that Donald Trump will hit hard and he will bring out his supporters in droves. And because of that, he definitely can win. Um, and even over the weekend, Donald Trump's election advisor started releasing numbers and stuff like that and throw showing that some of the blue states that Hillary Clinton won are now in play, and I'm going to try to find that article and let you guys know about over the next couple of days as well, because I think that that's an interesting article to know uh, what particularly they were talking about. I just couldn't find it for today's show notes. So, um, But I, anyway, the other thing that I wanted to talk about today was the Trump tax cuts. So April, 6th, or April 17th rolls around a tax day, and the American people, they all file their taxes now, and what an article that I was reading said that the average taxpayer paid 3% more uh, of their income to the federal government than they did last year. Uh, I did not see that in my taxes personally. I saw that I paid less because I was able to take a larger standard deduction with the child tax credit and all that, and I have two kids. So before that, I would usually pay a little bit or, you know, get a very small tax refund. And I, you know, I've always been one that I claim a little bit more dependents and stuff, and I claim all my dependents just so that I can make sure that I'm paying less to the federal government, but I'm willing to get a small refund or pay a little bit just to not have to give the government a tax-free loan, essentially. Um, not that I really hold to that policy too much. I've just always, you know, made sure that I have little less withholding just because I'd rather have a larger paycheck. Uh, but I usually don't get a lot back, but I, whatever, you know, so... What they were saying is that the average taxpayer paid 3% more to the federal government than they did last year. And I think if you take an average like that, you're going to take the entire tax, all the taxes that were collected, divide it by the population, and the population paid 3% more. But these tax cuts were actually sold as rev being revenue neutral, so you should expect to receive about the same amount back or those governments should expect to collect just as much money as they did last year. But in fact, they collect 3% more than they did last year on average, right? So they were not necessarily revenue neutral. Actually, the government got more. They confiscated more of the wealth of the American people. Um, but what you would have to do is you'd have to take a median in that situation and see what the median taxpayer paid uh, whether they received a tax cut or not. Because if you're going to be taxing the wealthy a little bit more, since there was, I think there was some state 
filings that they or state deductions that they couldn't take on their federal uh, tax bill and so forth that caused them to pay more in taxes, both at the state and federal level. So you weren't allowed to take those deductions for the, if you were very wealthy. Uh, there was a few other deductions that were taken away from wealthy people and so forth, but there was a few deductions that were added along with like a larger child tax credit. So if that if that's the case, you'd have to take a median and see what the median uh, taxpayer was going to be paying the federal government and see if that went up or down. And I have not seen any articles that are framing it that way because most of the media is going to take a look at these tax cuts from a negative perspective rather than a positive perspective. They're going to try to frame it in a way that hurts Donald Trump, it seems like to me. And if you take a, the median taxpayer, uh, or maybe those numbers haven't come out yet, I have no no clue, but you know that Donald Trump will be boosting that up soon. Um <clears throat> If I am generally a median taxpayer, then I was able to see myself pay less in taxes. Uh, so to me, that was to me that was generally a good thing. I, I'd rather pay less than more. Obviously, being a libertarian, I'd rather pay none. But um, the 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 press is going to spin it in a way that's going to be negative towards Donald Trump, which they did in that particular article that I read, um, just showing that. But if you look at the Democrats, they were saying, "Oh, this is a tax," and these tax cuts are going to lower the amount of revenue that the government gets in and it's going to hurt the national debt and so forth. Now the government is out of control spending. So the fact of the matter is is that the government is way overspending. There's running deficit after deficit every single month um, despite the fact that they're taking in 3% more of the country's wealth than they were a year ago, right? But the Democrats would say that's because of the tax cuts, but in fact, the tax cuts generated more revenue for the government than they did last year. So you can't, they're going to try to spin it one way or the other, but they can't have it both ways in that way. That the government did take in more revenue because of the tax cuts, and now they're spending way more than they had been in the past, running huge deficits. So Democrats are going to be um, criticizing Donald Trump for having the opposite intention of what they were trying to do, which is have a tax credit for the people. The Democrats can't spin it that way now because the government actually took in 3% more revenue. But they will say that it was a tax on the poor. They will say that uh, as long as you had kids and as long as you made, you know, where you weren't in the top tax brackets, I think that you would have made, you would have gotten back more money because of the fact that you could, the child tax credit was was increased as well as the fact that you had a standard deduction that was way increased. I think they doubled the standard deduction. And just by doing that, if you don't if you don't itemize on your taxes, then you would have made money or you would have not made money back, but you would have paid less in taxes, I think, because of that standard deduction. Uh, I used to itemize like crazy and now this year I decided when I, when I did the taxes, I looked it up and I was like, that there was not really that much of a need to itemize. So I did not itemize because of that, I think. Uh, but I mean, I used to be a sales where I was driving my own car and I was able to actually deduct the mileage on my car, but now I have a company vehicle that I use, so I don't have to do that anymore as well. So that was where itemizing did not help me out because of that also. So to, mo- to move away from the subject of tax cuts, I also wanted to bring up something that I was thinking about uh, over the last couple of days, and it's just the way that the financial system is set up right now, I think that we're approaching a bubble because of the 
way that loans are going out. For example, it's harder for like a, it's not as easy right now as in 2007, 2006 to get a mortgage. So there was a mortgage bubble going on right now, the housing bubble. We Or back then, you knew that. There was a housing bubble, the, the economy tanked, and the housing market just crashed, right? That was back in 2007, 2008, 2009. But the, the curious thing is that where did the bubble go to after that? And what I was wondering about, because it was the tech bubble, then, it, then they deflated the tech bubble, and then when that popped, and then they started inflating the housing bubble, right? Ron Paul talked about that, I think, in like 2002, 2003. And what, what did they start inflating in 2009, 2010? What, was, what did they start inflating at that point? And a lot of people say it's the bond market, and it's probably true. Interest rates went way down, way down to record levels, right? Where some countries were even paying negative interest rates. And the challenge with having low interest rates for so long is that there, there becomes malinvestment. People are investing in things that otherwise they wouldn't have invested in because they're making decisions based upon... Um, these super low interest rates, but the people that are that have the easiest time to get interest rates is not you and me, the average person, because what we're out there doing is we're trying to, let's say we're trying to get a mortgage or a car loan, they're going to be a little bit more skeptical of the consumer, but on the business side of it, you start seeing huge development within the corporate, the corporate lending, right? They're borrowing like crazy, doing buybacks of their stocks, they're, they're issuing junk bonds, things like that so they could buy back more of their stock it's inflating the the asset prices of their of their companies by doing that but you're also seeing in the in the lending world now you're seeing a lot more of these companies that are giving small business loans that are not your average mom and pop bank or they're not bank of america even these are companies um there's a company called cabbage that's out there that does this where they give people loan or they give you a business loan up to $250,000 with very little, very little looking into your, your business or your past. Um, and it's very easy to get these loans. So these are small business owners that are getting these loans. And I saw a um, job posting for it that I get these job postings ever so often in my email. And I just clicked on it because I saw this particular company I just want to see, and their their salespeople are making like 500 calls per day to small businesses. Absolutely insane. So if they have a sales force out there, they are just trying to drive home these these loans. And these loans are like 25 and 30% interest loans. Uh, they're short-term loans as well for like three to six months at the most. And these business owners are paying back, you know, four or $5,000 a week sometimes just to pay off these loans and it's uh they're supposed to be just called their capital loans so there is operating capital loans that they would have and usually banks would offer these lines of credit to these business owners at you know eight nine ten maybe eleven percent interest uh but these companies are taking that money from the banks they're they're putting together a business model where they're able to get you know lots of financing lots from private investors and so forth and they're going out and doing these loans at you know 20 25 30 percent sometimes and these business owners are just getting taken over the coals with these loans so i'm wondering and i think that what you're looking at is the end game of this asset bubble the end game 
of the bond market kind of falling apart. You're as you're seeing, just like you saw in the real estate world, just very easy credit in the real estate world in 2007, 2008. You're starting to see that on in the business sector as well now, uh, way more than you would have ever. And I've just started noticing it in the last year and a half, two years. And I deal in a world of, you know, auto dealers. That's my, you know, normal job that I run. And uh, we look at people's financials all day long. And one thing you're starting to see with the car dealers' financials is that they're starting to take out these small-term loans. In about two years ago, we saw one of our car dealers go out of business uh, because of these loans. And I just kind of predicted that if you keep seeing these types of loans out there, you're going to see more and more of these guys going out of business. But on the other side, these are not just for car dealers. These are for every type of business owner. So what is that inflating? Is it inflating the cost of them doing business because they're able to buy products with that money? Uh, it's just give it, putting, pumping easy money into that business world. But if these guys can't keep up, they'll start going out of business. And when they go out of business, they default. And then these businesses start going bankrupt. And then that trickles up to the larger banks and the bondholders that loan that company the money and so forth. And it's just uh, a house of cards at that point. Are we there yet? I don't know. I still don't see the economy is just going to tank yet. But it's very hard to predict that stuff. I mean, you have Peter Schiff who's been predicting it since 2009, 2010. You have other people that have been you know, started predicting it in 2015 and 16. I remember in 2015, you'd see these commercials on TV, the end of the world is coming and blah, blah, blah. And I think there's been a couple of uh, these new videos that are, you know, talking about the end game and things like that. Like this, this the way that the financial markets are about to fall apart. I don't specifically see it right now. I think that you have a good couple of years of these, you know, these loans that are going out and the asset bubble even inflating more until finally it pops. I just don't see it popping right now. Um, but that's my opinion. Don't take my word as financial advice because I am not a financial advisor. It's just what I see out there in my day-to-day life. And it's just something to be aware of so that you are a little bit more cautious going forward. But anyway, guys, I appreciate you listening. The best place to find me is uh, obviously here, and you'd want to subscribe to the show so you can listen to it tomorrow. Give me a five-star rating and review as well. But you could also contact me through Twitter, and you can uh, go to our Facebook page. And the Facebook page, if you type in Eye on the Empire, you should be able to find it. Twitter is at On the Empire. And also, um, you have a website. I have a website that I run, and that is eyeontheempire.com. So go there, check it out. And then come back tomorrow so you can have clear vision for 2020.